Greetings, gente puente. In today's episode, I'll be sharing guidelines and best practices for bilingual liturgies, a summary of copyright law for Catholic worship guides, and we'll hear the rest of my interview with Dr. Rick Lopez about leading music in bilingual liturgies. Multicultural, multilingual liturgies require sacrifice, but for the greater good. Because we are now doing what Christ has asked us to do, and that, that is be one body in Christ. Si prefieres español, puedes encontrar un resumen del episodio en español y todos los recursos mencionados sobre las mejores prácticas para las misas bilingües en paticc.com diagonal S25. I'm Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. Our team serves Catholic ministers like you who want to connect with the Hispanic community. We make your ministry easier by sharing best practices, resources, and encouragement through this Gente Puente podcast and our Facebook group. And we help you focus on your ministry through our Catholic translation services. Get a quote today at pattycc.com services. In this episode, we are continuing a conversation that we began in episode 24. So if you haven't heard that one, you might want to go back and listen to that one first so you have a better sense of the context. In episode 24, my guest, musician and liturgist Dr. Rick Lopez, strongly suggested that every parish or diocese that is even considering a multilingual or a bilingual mass needs to get a copy of and study Father Mark Francis's book called Liturgy in a Culturally Diverse Community, A Guide Towards Understanding. This is a work that was written by the Multicultural Commission of the Federation of Diocesan Liturgical Commissions, FDLC, as a result of an extensive study with parish practitioners and liturgy experts. I fully agree with Dr. Rick that it's worth buying a copy for all those involved in planning liturgies in your parish or diocese and studying the guide together. It's a very practical bilingual book that goes through all the elements of successful liturgies in multicultural communities. You can purchase the book from the FDLC website, fdlc.org publications. You can find a link in the show notes. Today I'm going to share some of the highlights from the book, but I hope each of you will take the time to study it as well so you can see the complete liturgical considerations, explanations, and principles behind this summary. You can find a cheat sheet with bullet points for quick reference in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 25. You can also find a link to the USCCB guidelines for a multicultural celebration of Mass, which align with Father Mark's book. As I mentioned in the last episode, I recognize that there are many communities that are very diverse with several language groups, but we are going to focus in on bilingual masses for communities where the main cultural groups speak English and Spanish, since our focus here on the Gente Puente podcast is on Hispanic Catholics. Before we dive in, I also want to say that the goal is progress, not perfection, as they say. What I'm going to share here in recapping the guidelines and the best practices of bilingual liturgies may be very far off from the current reality in your parish or diocese. Remember, like we discussed in episode 24, there's a lot of other integration work that needs to happen outside of liturgy in order for bilingual liturgies to work well. However, let's not get discouraged or frustrated if we're not there yet. 
I think we can all learn some things to improve our bilingual liturgies over time, and little by little, our faith communities will become more and more integrated inside and outside of liturgy if we are intentional and open. Okay, let's dive in. The first essential element to a successful bilingual Mass is good planning. The FDLC guide has a great section that talks about the importance of involving the different cultural groups in planning the liturgy and moving from simply including another language to an actual intercultural experience where each culture shares their gifts with the assembly. They warn against tokenism, just throwing in a piece or two from another culture or language with no real consideration or consultation in a superficial way. They describe how there should be attention given to the way this process is carried out, not just the final product. We talked a lot about this in episode 24, and you can find a cheat sheet with a summary of Dr. Rick's suggestion for the background work and the formation for this planning team in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 24. The FDLC guide also encourages the planning team to consider using art, environment, posture, gesture, and movement in addition to the spoken word and music in order to help all the cultural communities to contribute and feel welcomed. An aspect of bilingual masses that the FDLC guide also discusses is the aspect of sacred silence in the liturgy. It says, and I quote, The way in which a communal silence is observed may differ from culture to culture, end quote. I know at St. Michael's, the multicultural parish where my family belongs and where I worked for 11 years, this has always been an important aspect to keep in mind. Since our English masses are mostly made up of middle-aged adults and older, and maybe a handful of children, and because in the prevailing culture, silence during mass is more of an absolute thing, the assembly is used to quiet. However, in Hispanic culture, like the FDLC guide says, quote, silence is observed in a more relative way, end quote. And because the majority in our Spanish masses at St. Michael's are small children, this can be particularly challenging. Over the years, our bilingual masses have improved, though, as we have spent some time setting expectations with both language groups, as well as emphasizing good behavior during mass in our religious education classes and liturgy of the word with children. I would always try to offer Liturgy of the Word with children during bilingual Masses, as well as have extra quiet items in the cry room, and have someone in a hospitality role that could quietly and respectfully return wandering children back to their parents or remind parents that they are welcome to use the cry room to soothe a crying child. I do need to say, though, this always works better if the person that has this role already has a relationship with the Hispanic community and that they carry it out in a pastoral way so that their assistance will not be seen as unwelcoming or judgmental. One of the biggest challenges in a bilingual mass is deciding how much of each language to include, especially if you have no idea how much of each language group is going to show up. At St. Michael's, what we started doing is preparing everything in a way that it could easily be adapted once we saw the assembly. For instance, we had the readings prepared in a binder with each reading printed in English and Spanish, one right after the other. And the lectors knew that things might change depending on the assembly. And the worship guides were prepared in a way that no matter which language was being proclaimed, the assembly could read the language that they understood. 
It's a lot more work ahead of time, but it helped our masses to run more smoothly. If you'd like to see some samples of the scripts and worship guides I prepared for St. Michael's, you can come over to our Gente Puente Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente and check out the learning unit called Holy Week. Even though it is a constant challenge, and like Dr. Rick said, there will always be sacrifice involved, there are some best practices that the FDLC guide describes with regard to language. The overall goal should be to avoid long stretches in a language that's not understood by the entire assembly. It may be helpful to use Latin as a common language for some of the assembly's parts. The guide mentions that printed worship guides can help make the word and prayers more accessible, but should not be the only strategy, especially since many cultures do not emphasize literacy in the same way as the prevailing culture here in the United States. It says that one of the first considerations is the community's base language, the one understood by the most people, even though it may not be their native language. We will refer to this base language when we get into the different parts of the Mass. No matter what language is the base language, shorter prayers can be repeated. For example, the invitation to prayer throughout the Mass could be, Let us pray, oremos. A beautiful and effective way of including both English and Spanish, as well as the many cultures that may be present, is in creating what the FDLC guide calls a unity choir. Bringing together the musicians from the different cultural groups to form one choir for bilingual liturgies. It describes the natural progression that this integration will take and even suggests rotating the leadership of the choir and collaborative decision-making as the integration progresses. In the interview a little later in the show, Dr. Rick will give a lot of suggestions for music ministers that align with the guide as well. So that's all I'm going to say for now about music. You can find more resources for music ministers in the show notes as well at pattycc.com slash 25. Now let's get into some of the guidelines and best practices for the specific parts of the Mass, starting with the Liturgy of the Word. Again, the goal is to avoid long stretches in any language that not everyone knows. One of the suggestions that the FDLC guide gives is to use alternating languages for the first and second readings, and introducing each reading with the one-sentence summary found in the lectionary of the other language. So, for example, if the first reading will be in English, someone could read the one-line summary in Spanish before the reading is proclaimed in English, and then do the opposite for the second reading. The psalm is a great place to include a bilingual option, which, like Dr. Rick will explain later, are now readily available. The FDLC guide does state that while the other readings should not be repeated, it is appropriate to repeat the gospel reading if it isn't too long, although the introduction and conclusion are only done once. For example, the introduction could be done in English, then the gospel read in English, then skip the conclusion, read the gospel in Spanish, and then conclude in Spanish. The homily, of course, will depend on the language skills of the priest or deacon who's preaching. The FDLC guide describes that the ideal situation is when the preacher basically prepares two homilies, one main homily in the base language that speaks to the prevailing culture of the assembly, and a second shorter homily in the other that speaks to the culture of the smaller group. This second homily should be interwoven into the main homily, so as to avoid those long stretches in a language not everyone understands. When this is not possible, the guide explains that, quote, the preacher may have to invite qualified members of the other language group to aid him in the presentation of the homily, end quote. 
and that most appropriately, it would be a deacon. I know in our experience, when the homilist is monolingual, it has worked well for him to provide summaries of like the main points of his homily for someone bilingual to then stand with him at the ambo and either read or interpret in the second language every few minutes. Again, the goal being to avoid long stretches in one language, as well as to avoid a pure repetition of everything said, which can sometimes get tedious, especially if there are a lot of bilingual people in the assembly. The last point for the liturgy of the word is that the petitions are an appropriate place to use each language included in the liturgy. You can alternate languages for each petition, or even include a short intro like, for the sick, and then continue in the other language. You can use a uniform response that can be learned easily, like Domine Exaudinos. And finally, as for the prayers of the Mass, the FDLC guide recommends that the collect prayer be in the base language, as well as the entire Eucharistic prayer from the preface through the doxology to preserve the integrity of the prayer. The assembly's responses can, of course, be bilingual or alternate languages, and ideally the entire congregation would learn a bilingual mass setting for such occasions. The language of the minor eucology, which includes things like the prayer over the gifts and the prayer after communion, can alternate languages, but each prayer should be prayed in one language, not split up between different languages. The same thing goes with the communion rite, which should be prayed in one language, the language not used in the Eucharistic prayer. For the Our Father, you can invite all members of the assembly to pray in their preferred language simultaneously. Whew, well that's everything in a nutshell. I know it's a lot of information, so check out the cheat sheet in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 25 for the bullet points, and be sure to order a copy of Liturgy in a Culturally Diverse Community by Father Mark Francis for all those who have a role in planning bilingual liturgies in your parish or diocese. You can get a copy from the Federation of Diocesan Liturgical Commissions at fdlc.org slash publications. As I said in the last episode, a good bilingual liturgy is a lot of work, but it's worth it. We can all take baby steps to improve over time. Like it says at the end of the FDLC guide, quote, In promoting greater sensitivity to the various ways culturally diverse assemblies express our common Catholic tradition, we are all enriched, and the face of Christ in our world is brought into clearer focus, end quote. Now we're going to hear a little more of my interview with Dr. Rick Lopez. If you'd like to hear a little more about his background and ministry, be sure to check out episode 24. He was a parish music minister for nearly 40 years, and he is now the Associate Director of Music and Liturgy for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, in Texas. This section of the interview focuses more on tips, strategies, and resources for ministers leading music in bilingual liturgies. You can find the resources mentioned here and others in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 25. At this point in the interview, we're talking about preparing for a bilingual mass by pulling together a planning team where every cultural group is represented. Now let's hear the rest of my interview with Dr. Rick. There, there is a methodology, I think, that's uh, very, very important. Like I said, it, once, once we establish the importance 
of uh, gatherings of the dominant cultures, then mm-hmm. then there, here's one of the things: if we decide that we're going to have, we're going to celebrate together, let for example, let's say Holy Thursday, uh, which is a, a a great starting point as far as I'm concerned. If we're going to celebrate Holy Thursday together, it's going to be a bilingual Holy Thursday celebration, the beginning of the Tritium, right? Okay, the pastoral leadership has made this decision. You know, the other uh, organizations within the parish have been have been uh, have been brought on board with this idea and everybody's kind of hopefully agreeing that it's a good idea. The first thing that has to happen is the leadership that's going to be involved with that leader with that liturgy. Uh, and I'm talking about the liturgical ministers, the Eucharistic ministers, the lectors, the hospitality ministers, the musicians, of course, etc., etc., etc. Here's so now so the decision's been made, Patty. So we're going to have a meeting, uh, you know, three months before uh, Tritium. Uh, to plan this, uh, to plan uh, bilingual Holy Thursday. Okay, so yay! Here's the date and here's the time. You know how to got you know you know how I get them there, Patty. How? I call them. Mm-hmm. I call them, or I see them face to face and put that little flyer in their hand. Okay, so there needs to be a more personal touch with the Hispanic community. Face to face, a face to face invitation with a brief explanation what it's about, what we're going to talk about. And Esperanza, you as the leader, el líder de los, de los lectores hispanos, I need you there to help us plan this liturgy. Mm-hmm. And I have to I, I either talk to her on the phone, voice to voice, and even better, face to face. Esperanza, please come. Okay, I'll be there. Then that goes on and on. The the leader of the of the, the los músicos, whoever that is, or maybe more than one, right? Often it mm-hmm. is. Los líderes de los músicos, los líderes de los de los uh, uh, ministros de Eucaristía, uh, los líderes de hospitalidad, all of them. The only way, by and large, they're going to get there is if they have been invited, voice to voice, even better, face to face, and it's just. Uh, uh, just the reality of our Latino culture. And I can't overemphasize that. It's very, very, very important. Um, we can't just, it, it isn't It isn't a matter of just sending the, uh, our, our Latino brethren, brothers and sisters an email. It just doesn't work that way. The music in general, if I could speak to that, um, can I talk about that now in general yes, uh, for that evening? Um, here's, here's what happens. Here's where we have to. Uh, I've always uh, tried to be very, very sensitive to. So now we've had we've had our we've had our meeting, and I've invited Pedro, and I've invited Rudy, and 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 Jane, and we have two or three groups that are going to all prepare the music together for our bilingual vigil liturgy. So so now we have we'll we'll just call it kind of a a, a multilingual uh, parish choir that's going to serve that mass that night. From that, that represents the parish at large. Be quiet, because we're bringing the communities together. So I want that choir to look like everybody that's sitting out there. I want it to be look as mixed, in a, in a, in a good way, as mixed as possible as everybody that's sitting sitting out front or, or down below, whatever the case may be. I want that choir to be to represent the parish, the parish at large that has been asked to come together in 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 in, in this particular evening. So I bring them together, and now. What I don't want to do is I may have the Spanish choir from the uh, from the two o'clock mass on 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 Sunday. I may have the Spanish choir from the Span from the Saturday night mass at seven. Then I may have the traditional English choir from the from the ten o'clock mass on Sunday. And we're all we've all come together. What I don't want, which we don't want to do, and this is a lot more work. Let me just say this: this is a lot more work. But I don't want the Spanish choir doing. Th- this hymn 
and then the English choir doing that hymn or motet, and then the other Spanish choir doing something else. That's not what this is about. That's not what we're trying to do. The whole concept of doing this liturgy together as a unified family is to do as much as we possibly can together as a unified family, and that includes the choir. I don't want this ping-ponging back and forth. We're going to learn everything together. Now, my, my Anglo, my, my 10 o'clock English choir is going to roll their eyes because they're having, you know, they, they don't, they can't speak Spanish. Well, my Spanish choir is rolling their eyes because they don't speak English. I know, but multicultural liturgies, I should have said this for me, multicultural, multilingual liturgies require sacrifice. By their very nature, there are going to be things that one culture, uh, one community or the other community is going to not normally do, or they're going to be asked to do that they don't normally always do, or they may be doing something that they're not going to be able to do uh, that they always do. So there always is going to be some sacrifice, but for the greater good, because we are now doing what Christ has asked us to do, and that, that is be one body in Christ, one body under his name. So one church. So for, to make that work, though, we we all have to give up and give in to this or that. So the choirs no less. So I, I, I work very, very hard. I work with them. I teach them. We, we have, you know, Latinos and Anglos, uh, foreign languages to both. But I, I make sure they understand we're all sacrificing something. Let's work together. One of the ways you can do that, too, one of the ways it helps is to have to, to use a lot of psalmody. What do I mean by that? A lot of psalmody means that the choirs, especially if they're brand new to each other, they're short responses and short refrains. They're shorter versions of bilingual music or bilingual sacred music. So I, I kind of give them baby steps. We're not going to do long and involved choral, you know, motets for, for Holy Saturday. But we're but, but there's all kinds of, of psalmody or verse and refrain type of even hymns and songs where the combined choirs aren't being too demanded upon to sing in a language that they're not used to. So I use a lot of verse and refrain type of stuff, especially at the beginning. And then I like my cantors what would maybe do the, do the longer stuff. Maybe it's a verse to a, to a hymn of Pan de Vida, whatever is as an example, uh, where the, my choir, maybe at the be very, very beginning, I, I can't, I keep it as simple as I possibly can, but I'm absolutely, uh, I'm emphatic that we all sing together as much of it as we possibly can all together from beginning to end. And you can do that by making, keeping things on the simpler side as far as the music compositions are concerned. But it's very, very critical. I don't want to isolate oh, this choir as opposed to that choir or this or what musician as opposed to the other. I want us doing everything together as much as we possibly can. And even it means taking baby steps at the beginning. That very concept, of course, you can, you would use in any future bilingual or multilingual uh, liturgies that that uh, that you might have at your parish and it and it works very very well in time once they've gotten used to getting together and, and by the way I should say also that's going to help your assembly too if you're inviting the assembly to invite to to participate on any hymn song or whatever the case may be it's also going to be easier for them if they're just asking if you're just asking them to to do this refrain for this hymn bilingually and then use your other 
cantors or whatever the case may be to help with some of the more elaborate things but 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 again the assemblies the assemblies invited the assemblies being encouraged because and they're not so much discouraged because your choir singing that refrain bilingually and then they're going to be more inclined to also participate with your now new bilingual choir on this refrain that isn't terribly terribly elaborate hopefully or something like that so those are some of the rubrics that i that i that, that not only do i, I well I, I feel very strongly about but there are ways to do it you just have to be a little bit what's the word here you just have to be a little bit creative in doing it and making things as as practical as possible but at the same time accomplishing the goals that you're trying to accomplish what would be some of your practical advice or tips for somebody planning these liturgies to help the congregation to prepare ahead of time not just the musicians and the ministers but mm -hmm. how do you prepare the broader congregation to come together and how do you help them in the actual liturgy to participate more fully Right. I think that that's a very good question. Um, and there's no, unfortunately, there's no easy answer to that. However, this is one thing that I have seen work is that slowly, slowly start to introduce the idea, slowly try to introduce the idea. One of the things that can be done pretty easily, why not on occasion, as long as the readings are there in front of, in both languages in front of the assembly, why not on occasion have the second reading or maybe the first reading in, in, in the corresponding language. What that means is let's make sure that, that if we're reading the first reading in Spanish, that the English reading people know what we're, we're praying, know that what we're presenting because it's right there in the book. So that's the kind of thing. And then little by little, um, if, if we, Start to do that on, you know, maybe, I don't know if you want to do it every Sunday, but on occasional Sundays or whatever the case may be. The, the, obviously, your celebrant can do the same thing with some of the prayers. What you're doing is you're kind of, you're kind of getting your assemblies, because we're talking about, you know, at this point, we're talking about separate communities, getting them used to the idea that it, it on a very subtle but slow but not dramatic basis, what's the word, uh, not aggressive you're introducing this other language and what you're also doing is you're kind of reminding them oh yeah we do have this other family here oh yeah we we do have we 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 are our parish does consist of more than this one culture more than this one language so obviously the music is also the same thing mm -hmm. um on occasion where you know at the 10 o'clock english mass we've never done a bilingual hymn all of a sudden we're doing maybe a hymn that, that maybe is traditionally English, right? But and now I've got a bilingual setting of Amazing Grace. Or I'm, now I've got a bilingual setting of I am the bread of life. The world knows I am the bread of life. But there are some beautiful translations of Yo soy el pan de vida that they've never heard. You don't have to do the whole thing bilingual, but throw in but throw in a double refrain. And I will raise your little something like that on occasion. Again, subtly, subtly introducing them, aren't you? You're subtly introducing them to the whole idea of bilingual sacred repertoire. And you don't have to go crazy with it, but just as a reading here or there might be in the opposing language, the, there's all kinds of bilingual hymnody now that is originally English. Mm -hmm. That has been re that has been reset. That has been re, re uh, retranslated or retranslated mm -hmm. into both languages. I've got a great hymnal, and not to put anybody up above anybody else, <laughs> but but GIA's had this great hymnal for years, not called called Oramos Cantando, cover to cover. Everything's bilingual. Everything's in both languages. All of the psalmody for all three the three years of the sun of of the of the, of the word are all bilingual. 
This never existed before. And again, GIA uh, is, is a very, very prominent English language um, a hymnal publisher, mm-hmm. publisher of hymnals, right? Mm-hmm. And then so they, what they did is they took, they took uh, little pieces of each one of their largest, largest selling English language hymnals. And for, and for a number of years, they, they, they came up with the titles. And then they they uh, they translated the hymns. Now they took a lot of hy- Spanish language hymns as well. They took a lot of the hymnody from quote unquote well known in the Spanish community and added English verses and refrains to it. So all I'm saying there's plenty of stuff out there like that, yeah. and you don't have to go crazy. But but on occasion, start to start kind of kind of what are we doing? We're kind of weaning them into it, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We will continue my conversation with Dr. Rick in a moment. But first, I want to ask you, how would you feel if you had all the documents you needed in English and Spanish, but you no longer had to translate them yourself or beg your bilingual colleagues to translate them for you? Are there translations you need for your ministry, but you don't have time to research the specialized vocabulary involved? Would you be able to focus better on your ministry and what you do best if you could hand off your translations to someone you trust? The team at Patty's Catholic Corner would love to be that resource for you. We have years of experience in direct ministry, and we know what it's like to have so much to do and not have a team big enough to do it all. Now we use our experience and expertise to serve ministries like yours. You can trust us with the translation of any Catholic ministry document, and we will serve you in a way that is accurate, faithful to your message, and easy for you. Save time today. Get a quote for your project at pattycc.com slash services. Now let's continue with my conversation with Dr. Rick. Well, you've mentioned a few resources that are out there for bilingual, especially um, with regard to the music. Mm-hmm. And that you sent me a list that I'll put links in the show notes to some of those bilingual Great. resources for music ministers. And then you also said that you're working on one that should be available soon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I am. Yes, I'll be glad to. I have a couple of, I'm very happy to tell you that I have a, a, already the outline for um, a, a guide. It, but we'll just call it a workbook for Hispanic music ministers. It's una guía para los ministros de música hispanos. It, it'll, it'll talk about, you know, the, the various aspects of the liturgy that we need to be con- sensitive about and, and be thinking about, you know, the entrance and et cetera, et cetera, parts of the liturgy. But it's also going to uh, talk about the um, music in general. What, you know, and this is a big subject, isn't it, Patty? What is, it, what is considered música sagrada en, en nuestros misas de español? Because we have a, a, you know, that this is kind of a, a challenge. We will call secular music in our Spanish celebrations and that whole discussion. And, and it becomes, it can be a challenge and and in other words what's acceptable right Mm -hmm. and that's that's a whole other topic of it and then i'm really happy to tell you it's going to be audio video and uh and and also visual kind of a dvd type of thing the dvd piece is probably going to be how the basics of como leer musica las notas y las letras how to read music in a very very basic form and when you use some of the most popular uh, Latino hymnody and songs as 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 kind of the guidelines or uh, well, let's just call it the the rubrics uh, the basics of how to read music como leer la música so why why is that important 
Porque the problem with our, uh, a lot of the challenges with our Latino uh, musicians is they don't know how to read music. Okay, well that, uh, we got it. Uh, porque aprenden la música, ¿cómo la van a aprender? The, you know, uh, my, my brother Tino taught me this and that's how I learned it. Okay, or I learned this song from here. It's all mm -hmm. por la memoria, right? Well, that's just, it's, it, and that's fine. But, But unfortunately, that limits, doesn't it, Patty? That by, by if, if the only way we're going to learn our, uh, music for the, for the mass is by what's been shared with us orally, that, that it becomes very limiting in, in, in the music, the repertoire for, for you know, a three-year cycle of, of liturgies. And especially trying to come together and learn the music for bilingual liturgies. That's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. So one of the key aspects of this workbook will be real, real simple rubrics, but very, we feel is approachable, right? Very approachable rubrics on, on how to read, how to read music. And, and I'm very happy to tell you that we, we think we've come up with a program as part of this workbook on how to do that. Uh, it'll be it'll it'll be an, an AV type of format. So we're very, very happy about that. Sounds great. Now, before I let you go, here on the Gente Puente podcast, one of our main goals is also creating community and encouraging space for ministers to support each other. So I want to hear from you after so many years leading ministry, even though you don't want to tell us how many, understand. <laughs> uh, can you share us something that you've learned about being a leader in ministry that could help other ministers that are listening? Yes of course. What I've learned, especially helping and serving Hispanic ministries, Hispanic music ministries, is that, Patty, there is a tremendous need. There is a tremendous need to provide formation, especially liturgical music formation for our Hispanic music ministers, almost no matter what level they're coming from. In other words, if even if they're professionals, Um, the, the background just is not there for whatever reasons. Um, but there's a tremendous need for people like me, for, you know, like our friend Rudy Lopez, for Pedro Lacaba, for Mary Frances Reza, for Damaris, for all of us, Peter Collar. I'm talking about some of the, the leadership around the country that does this kind of thing, myself included. And what I've learned is that there's a tremendous need. And here's the best part, though. Whenever I do these workshops with either by myself or with some of my, my cohorts, some of the other leadership here in Houston, let me tell you the best thing, Patty. They are tremendously appreciative of what we do. Mm -hmm. Tremendously. The, the need is painfully apparent. Mm -hmm. And then most importantly, when we're done, thank you, gracias, gracias, gracias to us mm -hmm. who do these things for sharing the gifts that God has brought into our lives, right? Whether it's our education, our experience, or whatever the case may be, thanking us for the gifts that we have shared. And then, and then finally, when can you come back? <laughs> it's always, ¿Cuándo vas a regresar? ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo te podemos seguir? ¿Cómo, ¿Cuándo lo vas a ofrecer otra vez? Stuff like that all the time. So that is, that is what I have learned. And that's why I continue to do this as much as I possibly can within the, within the conscripts of, of my position mm -hmm. for, for this office. And there still is a tremendous need here. as a tremendous need uh, all, over, all over the Southwest and mm -hmm. all over the country. Thank you. Uh, before we go, can you please close in prayer for all those who serve the church? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, help me to feel free enough to let go and to pursue and to never give up, but to let you take over my life, take over my ministry, take over this that you have put in my heart to accept your presence in my life. 
transform my ego to give way to humble service and set free my self-consciousness, my concerns, my timidity, lighten my worry and need to control outcomes. Accept my prayer. Help me to accept you and the graces of the Holy Spirit that I ask for today. Send me the gift of breath that I may greet with joy the spirit which I know is singing deep within my heart and in my mind. And all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Dr. Rick, for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Patty. Thank you for the invitation. Que lo bendiga. I hope you enjoyed this small segment of the interview with Dr. Rick. If you want to hear the whole thing, again, check out episode 24. Remember that if you are listening to this episode in the future, not in the spring of 2019, but sometime in the future, the resource that Dr. Rick mentioned he was in the process of creating might already be available. Be sure to check out the show notes at pattycc.com slash 25 for updated links. Also, as Dr. Rick mentioned in episode 24, he is open to coming to your diocese to give a workshop. Just email him at rlopez at archgh.org to get in touch with him. And you can find that link in the show notes too. Before I wrap up this episode, I want to bring up copyright rules because it's something I always found so challenging in my ministry, especially when it came to worship guides. In the show notes, you can find links to a few great resources that summarize copyright rules, as well as a webinar from OCP called Navigating the World of Copyright. Actually, I'm going to link to several webinars related to this episode that you might find helpful. So check out the show notes again at pattycc.com slash 25. Before I go into any details, please know that I am not a lawyer. I am not an expert in copyright laws, and this is for informational purposes. You should consult an attorney for specific guidance. And I highly recommend watching that OCP webinar with Paul Raspa to hear details about his tips to always attribute, don't assume fair use or public domain, limit sharing and copying, and obtain written permission in the form of a license. He uses the analogy that I can give you permission to use my car, but it's still mine. Just like a copyright holder can give permission, but the treasure is still theirs. He also states that you need written permission for things like reproduction, adaptation, distribution, and any performance, whether that is public or digital. The best and easiest way for Catholic parishes and dioceses to obtain these licenses for Catholic music is to use onelicense.net, which is now jointly owned by GIA Publications and Oregon Catholic Press. OCP used to run their licenses through licensingonline.org, but they've merged and now it's all under onelicense.net. They have many options available depending on your use and the size of your congregation. And keep in mind, you need a music reproduction license for printing music or even just lyrics in a worship guide or projecting it on a screen and even to include pieces in your bulletin or home study resources. The process involves obtaining the license, paying the fees, as well as reporting on an annual basis which songs you've used. 
All of this work is well worth the effort, though, because there can be real penalties and stiff fines, even for churches, when these copyright rules are not followed. Another area that people commonly get in trouble for violating copyright rules is with using images. You cannot just find an image on Google and copy and paste it into your worship guide. Just like with music, you have to have written permission from the copyright holder. So when you find an image that you like through a Google search, for example, if you use the scripture citation of the gospel for that mass, you need to figure out who is the original artist or copyright holder and ask them for permission. Our music director here at the Diocese of Owensboro, Mike Bogdan, told me that oftentimes when he has contacted an artist directly, they've given the diocese permission to use their art free of charge. He recommends, of course, sending at least a little gift, flowers or something, as a token of appreciation, though. Or others have a small licensing fee. As Paul Raspa said, though, make sure you get and keep a record of all the permissions in writing. Other options are finding online collections that are already labeled as copyright-free. Just pay attention to the fine print and be sure it includes how you plan to use it. Another idea is to contact your bulletin company if you happen to print your parish bulletin with a company that provides liturgical art. Sometimes their license also extends to use in worship guides. And lastly, there is the issue of printing the liturgical texts from the lectionary and the Roman Missal. Parishes and dioceses in the United States have permission to print texts for one-time use in worship aids from the liturgical text that the copyright belongs to ISIL, the International Commission on English in the Liturgy, and the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So that currently includes the English Lectionary, the Roman Missal, and the recently approved Misal Romano Tercera Edición for use in the United States. What it does not include yet is the Spanish Lectionary. Although there is a U.S. version of the Spanish lectionary in process, until that is published, parishes and dioceses have permission to use the lectionary from the Mexican Bishops' Conference, and it is common practice to print these readings in the same manner. In the show notes, you can find sample paragraphs for music and text licenses to include in your worship aids. Now remember, use of these liturgical texts outside of parish and diocesan liturgies needs a different kind of license, especially for any kind of commercial use, so you have to contact the copyright owners for that information. For printing the readings and worship guides on a regular basis, you can visit the USCCB Permissions Office, uh, which explains how to obtain a license, and you can get that note in the show notes. Wow, I don't know if you feel like I did when pulling all this together, but it can be overwhelming. I pray that my research and all the links found in the show notes and the cheat sheets from episode 24 and this episode will help you and your ministry immensely. My goal is to provide you with a central place to find what you need and provide easily digestible material so you can get back to focusing on your ministry and what you do best. If you have found these things helpful, I would love if you would do me the favor of sharing the episodes or the cheat sheets or the links with your colleagues who may find them helpful as well. And if you take a minute to hop over to iTunes and leave a review for the show, it will help more and more Catholic ministers like you to take advantage of these resources as well. And I would really appreciate it. Again, don't forget that if you'd like to join our online community and share resources, ideas, and encouragement with other Catholic ministers who minister with and to Hispanic Catholics, we'd love to have you. 
Just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente, or just search Gente Puente and you'll find us. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Gente Puente podcast on po Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episode. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. <laughs>